If you would, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4 as we are continuing in um, this text connected with uh, the narrative of the Samaritan woman. We are going to look at four particular verses today, and I'm going to switch things a little bit. We finished last week with verse 26 where Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so he affirms to her that he is the Messiah. The next part of what takes place in John chapter 4 is really connected in two pieces. One is the woman goes back to town. She invites everybody back out. They come out. Jesus shares with them. But while she is gone, there is a conversation that Jesus has with the disciples. And so these two pieces with this, I'm going to divide it up, and so we're not going to completely follow in order, um, but we will cover every verse. Uh, But I wanted to, to spend our time this morning looking at this conversation that Jesus had with the disciples while the woman had gone back in town. And these four verses are really, really important, um, and they stand on their own, and so it's important for us to take a look at them. So Jesus has just finished this very long conversation, probably a couple of hours worth conversation about water and about satisfaction. And now the disciples return, and they get back, and now everything shifts to a typical man conversation, uh, which is a lot of talk about food. They have a very simplistic mindset about things, this group of men, um, just like men today. At breakfast, men are asking, what are we eating at lunch? At lunch, men are asking, what are we having for dinner? And at dinner, sometimes the conversation is, what's our late night snack going to be? And so these simplistic men come back to Jesus at the well, and, and they are focused on food. Um, It dominates their thoughts. And secondly, they approach all of Jesus' conversation in the text today in a very simplistic manner, not getting what Jesus is communicating. And so what we will see today is what was the source of satisfaction. Actually, let me just say the first one. What was the source of strength that drove Jesus to live the way that Jesus lived? So what was the source of the strength in Jesus' life? And we will also see today what was the source of satisfaction that brought him great joy in his life. And these two things are so key for us to understand and look at. And so Jesus is going to teach us today about the best food ever. The best food ever. So let's read the text And see this conversation. John chapter 4. And let's read 27 and then we're going to jump down to 31. So 27 says, Just then as Jesus is telling her that he's the Messiah, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Go down to 31 now. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. And so there, there are multiple conversations that take place in John chapter 4. So there's the conversation that Jesus has been having with a Samaritan woman. Now she is gone. The disciples have returned. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with the disciples. Later, the town of Sychar will come out. He will communicate things with them and there will be conversations. All running through the Gospel of John so far have been conversations with Jesus. And so I want to point that out first of all this morning. The importance of having conversations with Jesus. John chapter 1, 35 through 42. Andrew and Peter have a conversation with Jesus, these two brothers. John chapter 1, 43 through 51. Philip and Nathaniel have a conversation with Jesus. John chapter 3, 1 through 21. Nicodemus has this conversation. John 4, 7 through 26. The Samaritan woman has this long conversation with Jesus. And now in John 4, in our text today, the disciples have this conversation with Jesus and let me just remind us this is one of the most important things that you and I can do in our lives talk to Jesus but not just talk to Jesus but to learn to listen to Jesus to hear his voice that our communication just isn't us pouring out all of our stuff and then we're done and just kind of leaving things there But there are moments where we're quiet and and we're having conversations and we're listening as we read the Word. What is He saying in in the moments and circumstances of our lives? What is Christ communicating in the things that we are dealing with? Every conversation that Jesus has had so far in these four chapters in the Gospel has been aimed at seeing that people get who He is. That they would come to a place of understanding that that they would be centered, their life would become centered on who He is. And unfortunately, for far too many of us, um, we have conversations with Jesus that are we or me-centered, and far too often they are not He-centered, where He becomes the focus, and He is the one that we are pouring our heart out to. And so we need to seek to have a real heart and a real heart conversation with Him that is grounded in listening to Him as well as us pouring out our heart. I had something interesting happen uh, to me this week. And so uh, because we, or last week, because we've had um, so much time, I've gone to the disc golf course by myself and, and played. And, and so I was playing last week. And one day, um, I have a, this is my favorite disc. It's called an Orc. It's not from Lord of the Rings. But it's the orc, and it's my favorite disc. And I was on a hole, and I, and I threw it, and, and it went. Um, I held onto it to a little too long, and so it went about 50 yards down and went into these trees. And so, um, so I get there, I step in, and I begin the process of looking from about a, probably a 20-yard by 20-yard place. And I'm looking for this laying on the ground, and I'm searching everywhere, and and and. and Probably, I would, honestly, it's about seven or eight minutes I'm looking for this on the ground. 20 yards by 20 yards is not a huge place to look. And I can't find it anywhere. And it becomes one of those moments that's a Jesus movement. And I, I, I know that this is just an inanimate object. But if you play disc golf, 
This is like your children and you can't lose these. I crawl in the water for these things. Um, and so I'm asking the Lord, Lord, will you please help me find my orc? And as I think of the Lord, something pops into my head and I'm not going to, well, I should give him the credit. I don't know how, how concerned he is about me finding the ark, orc, but I think he does care about those moments. As I asked him for help, there was something in my mind that said, look up, and immediately looked up, and just right above my head was this in a tree, right there above me. And I thought as I pulled it down, stepped back out, and began to play again, and as I was walking up to putt um, at the hole, I thought to myself, how important it is for us in our lives that we spend our lives looking up and talking to Jesus. We spend so much of our days grounded in things of this earth and looking at this, and sometimes we just get so, so caught up in all of those things that we need to have conversations where we lift our eyes and He becomes the focus of us pouring out our hearts to Him. Let, let me remind you of what Paul wrote. Colossians 3.1 If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. And so as we see this conversation this morning, we're going to see the disciples are not thinking heavenly. They are not lifting up their eyes. They are so focused on things on the ground. And so look with me now in verse 31. And so here's what happens. So they have gotten back. The woman has left. And so verse 31, it tells us this. That Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. Now they had gone into town. And they had gone into town and they had amazingly discovered something in Samaritan land. And it was incredible. And they had gone in and, and they had gotten food and they had come out and, and, and they know that Jesus was tired. And so they come and they brought food and they, and they have it. And there's like, Rabbi, you've got to eat. Remember, we went into town to get food. You were thirsty. You stayed here. You want to get something to drink. And so now we went in and we got food and we, we brought this out. We have a, watch this, they're in Samaritan land. Brought them a Samaritan burger. And they brought the Samaritan, Samaritan, Samaritan burger out to him. And they tried to give it to him. And he's like, I'm not interested in what you have brought. Now, in their mindset, their whole focus was when they came back out to the well, is that when they came back out to the well, everything that they were going to do was going to be about eating. And now that they're back, Jesus has no interest at all to eat. And they're more confused at, at this reality. They know that he, he eats. They've been with him. They know that he gets hungry. They were sent into town to get food because he was hungry and thirsty just like they were. But what they don't understand is the mission of Jesus. While they were away, he was eating. And what he was eating was something far better than a burger Far better than bread, he was doing something that fulfilled his life that made him forget about that there was a physical hunger that was dom dominating his life beforehand, but not doing so now. 
So while they were gone, Jesus was doing the greater work. He was valuing people over picnics. And that's point two this morning. And I want to touch on this because I think it's really important. So they've come back and they've got a picnic on the mind. We're going to sit down. We're going to eat. We're going to, we're going to eat. We're going to head on and get out of Samaritan land. We're going to head to Galilee. That's where we've been going. And all of this is going to be over. And so they've got, they've got a picnic on the mind. And Jesus has already eaten something that is far more satisfying that he must teach them and he must explain to them. And they're going to find out something incredibly important that this woman who they saw him talking to is about to go back into town and she's about to bring everybody out. And there's going to be another conversation. Now they have been in the presence of all those people that she has gone to get to bring back out because they had been in town getting the food to bring out so that they and Jesus could eat. But you see, they're just on, they've just been on a mission for food. When they went into that town, they didn't tell anybody about Jesus. They didn't invite anybody to come back out with them and communicate to them. The long-awaited Messiah is here. He's out by the well. Do y'all want to come out? We're followers of him. Do y'all want to come out with us and meet him? And in amazement, all of these people are going to come from the testimony of the woman. They are not going to come from the testimony of the 12 disciples. And at times, this is what God does. Those who should be the most natural to speak in a setting for him just seem to be silent or forget about it. And sometimes the most unnatural and unexpected person stands up just like the Samaritan woman and impacts other people's lives. Now let me propose an idea for us this morning. They likely had passed this woman as they were going into town to get the food. She was coming out to the well. They were going into town. They likely passed her. No one engaged her in a conversation. They may have taken a wide path away from her. They didn't share anything with her about Jesus. And upon their return, they are shocked to see that this woman that they had passed is standing there talking to Jesus. Now hear this this morning, because this is really important for our lives. And I've simplified it this morning, but I think you and I get it. We will live our lives focused on picnics, focused on life here, caught up in things here, or we will live our lives focused on the gospel, which means getting the gospel to people see jesus was focused on getting the gospel to this woman the disciples had gone in had likely passed this woman not said a word to her they had gone into town had gotten food and not said a word to anybody about the messiah being out there and so she leaves um, they are glad they're going to eat they're going to move on their way and they're going to get get back to Galilee, and before we're too hard on them, I can be just like them, and likely you can as well. When I reflect upon my life, I can honestly say that I've been like them at times, where I've not been awake to the reality around me, where I'm not understanding the supernatural work of what God is doing in other people's lives, and I'm just centered and focused on things here. And so they've gone to get food, 
She has come to the well. Conversation. They pass. They arrive as she's leaving. And, and Jesus is satisfied in the moment. And they're like, Rabbi, you've got to eat. We brought food. We went. We got it. We've got this incredible stuff. And, and they, 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 they don't understand the response that He is giving in that moment because all they're focused on is a picnic and moving on with their lives. And so I want to propose a question to us this morning. And it's from John chapter 17. I want to ask you to, to turn there just for a moment in John chapter 17. So how do we avoid a picnic mindset where we're just focused on getting stuff here and doing things here and not having a people mindset? In John chapter 17, Jesus says some pretty incredible things here in regard to how do you and I avoid having a picnic mentality and ignoring people instead of valuing them. In John 17, verse 15 through 19, it says this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So I'm going to give us several things here just real briefly as to how you and I avoid being like the disciples. They've gone into Sychar, not told anybody that the Messiah is out at the well. They likely pass the Samaritan woman, don't communicate anything to her. They return. All they are focused on is a picnic. Let's eat. Let's move on. And Jesus is going to stretch them. Little do they know that they're going to stay two more days with all of these Samaritans. And sometimes, you know, Jesus does that in our lives. He will stretch us long term, and He will stretch us in the short term. But let me, let me give us principles as to how you and I avoid a picnic mentality about life here and have a people mindset in regard, regard to the gospel. First part of verse 15, Jesus just says this. He does not want us removed from the world. He wants us engaged in the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And that's the second principle. Jesus' prayer is that while we are in the world, that we would be protected from the evil one. Thirdly, to avoid this mentality that the disciples have, we must see what Jesus communicates here, that we must see that our identity is like his identity we are not of this world. We have been born of God. We have been born of heaven. Yes, we were physically born here on planet earth. But in our spiritual birth, this, this, we must be reminded, this is not our home. And so Jesus says, our identity must be as His. Where He says, just as I am not of the world, I'm praying that they also are not of the world. The fourth thing that helps us avoid this mentality is found in 17, that Jesus prays that we would be set apart in the truth of the Word. We would be set apart, listen to that, set apart to the truth of the Word, not attached to the world. 
not focused our whole life on this stuff, but there's something to eat that is far greater than all of that. And the fifth principle that helps us to avoid a picnic mindset and having a people mindset is that Jesus said our mission is to be as His mission is, sent into the world, consecrated in Him, and that is found in verses 18 and 19. And so this is critical for us. The disciples come back. They've just got food on the mind. And Jesus has eaten food that he's going to tell them now that you don't know anything about. And so let's look at our third thing this morning. What is the food that Jesus ate? Look with me in 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples in John 4 are really needing to come to a place to understand this food that Jesus is talking about. You and I must come to this place to understand this food that Jesus is talking about. And so let me just touch on this for a moment. Jesus had a harvest of the world mindset. And the harvesting mindset of seeing the fields as white, and we'll talk about that next week and ready for the harvest it comes from a deep longing to walk intimately with god and as we know the nature and the character of god there is something that has moved in us to want others to know about what we are knowing as we get excited about god's word we want others to know the truth about that we want to share those words with others and so they're back and they're just saying to jesus Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, eat. You've got to eat physically. You need this. And so Jesus says, guys, you don't get it. I've been eating, and I have food to eat that you don't even know about. And this word know is such an important word because our, our relationship with God, let me remind us, is about knowing, but not just facts, but it's about experiential Knowing, which means this, we know the truth and we walk it and we live it. So his word is the work of salvation that comes from the mandate of the Godhead which permeates the pages of the scriptures in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. So what is this food that Jesus is referring to here that they don't know anything about? Well, it's been what he's been doing while they've been in town getting food. And the first one is just simply this, the food that drove Jesus. And we'll talk more in a different way about it here in just a moment, was submitting his life to the will of the Father. And as he submitted his life to the will of the Father, and this became the food that drove him, there are two aspects of that. The words of the Father... Jesus loved them, cherished them, only did them, only listened to them. And so not only the words of the Father, did He submit to the will of the Father, but also the work of the Father. What the Father was doing, Jesus joined in the work that the Father was doing. And so while they've been gone into town, He's been cultivating the heart of this woman, bringing her to a place where He finally says, I am the Messiah and I've just made everything all these questions that you've had I have made them clear to you right now 
And I believe she believes. She leaves her water jar. She goes in town. She makes a bold confession to everybody. You've got to come out and see this guy and meet this guy who knows everything about me. And so Jesus says, has, in that encounter, his, he has eaten the will of God, the words of God, as he's communicated them to the woman. He has participated in the work of God, and he has pleased his Father in that moment. And so when the disciples say, eat, 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 come on, open it up, this stuff is good, he's like, no, I'm not hungry now. Because I've just been doing something that is far greater than filet mignon. Far greater than Chick-fil-A. Far greater than any kind of food that you could find on planet Earth. I've just transformed the life of a woman who was so broken. And I've submitted to my Father's will. And I've communicated His words. I participated in the work of my Father that He wanted me to do. And I am satisfied. You see, Jesus is the Savior. And in His saving work, there is satisfaction that was connected to His life. Remember the words from John 3, 17 that we studied a few months ago? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. He has just done that. This woman has been rescued. Jesus has eaten spiritual food that is far better than this. And he's satisfied, and they're urging him, eat. And he's like, no, I I don't want to eat. I'm not interested in eating right now. And I don't know when he ate. I I don't know if they got water out of the well and he ever drank. I don't know if he ate or if it was much later. Obviously, He did, but there were just matters that day that were far more important than water down in a well and food to put in the body. Jesus had done something so incredibly satisfying that it moved him to a place where he wasn't interested in this, even though he was definitely physically hungry. Now, they are going to need to know about this food Because when Jesus ascends to heaven, he's going to entrust the work of the church to these men. And they will, the book of Acts reveals to us, that they come to know that they must partake as well, just as Jesus did, of the will of the Father through the word and the work of God in bringing people to salvation. You know why, if you've ever been on a mission trip and you've come home, and you're excited, and you're motivated, and you're full, and you read the Word in such a way that you've never read the Word before. You know why we return home from mission trips, mission endeavors? is because when we take the gospel somewhere and we take the gospel to people, we are eating the very food that Jesus himself ate, which is the extension of the gospel. There's not been a trip I've ever gone on. There's not been uh, an evangelism encounter that I have had here in Collin County that I have not felt satisfied and full after that experience. And so they come back, Rabbi, you've got to eat this. He's like, I've eaten already, and I've eaten food that you don't get yet. You're going to get it. And so it's important for us to participate in the Great Commission. 
Now let me just say this. What is Jesus not saying? This is not what he's saying. He's not saying that water and food is not important. He's not saying fast the rest of your life. He's not saying anything like that because that teaching would go against Scripture. But what he wanted the disciples to know was this, is that life is more than the things of this earth and even the things that are, watch this, necessary for us. We need to eat. We need to drink. We need to sleep. We need to rest. We need all of those things. But there is something in this life that is far more satisfying than all of those things. Now, after 40 days in the desert, you would think Jesus was pretty hungry. And this is what Matthew 4 tells us. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus, no doubt hungry after 40 days, under in the midst of, of all that was going on and what he was about to begin in his ministry, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is why the world looks at you and I who passionately love the heart of God and, and God's His heart of missions and taking the gospel locally and globally. The world looks at us and they think, God, you've got values that are strange and different. You value things that that we don't value and, and the world gets caught up in cars and, and houses and, and all of these things and we get caught up in seeing that, that no, getting the gospel to people, that's what matters more than anything else and we value words on a page as life, real life, that gives us direction to understand how we ought to live our lives and how we take the message to people from our neighborhoods all the way to the nations. And the world will never comprehend that. The world will never understand that. But you see, Jesus' great strength, and he speaks it as he unveils these words here, the secret of the great sustenance of his life was doing the will of the Father in salvation. Now, in spite of him being called the man of sorrows, because he was sinless, and because he perfectly completed and submitted to the will of the Father, I believe Jesus was the most satisfied and fulfilled person who's ever lived on the planet. And we can as well as we connect our lives to what Jesus ate. Now our great weakness, his great strength is seen in submitting to the will of the Father. Our great, great weakness is seen in getting caught up in all the things of the world and thinking that they are more important. And so we've got to see that. Let's look at the next thing. Look at verse 33. <laughs> oh, if we can be like them. It's kind of funny to read this text here. So they've come back with food. Rabbi, you got to eat. Guys, I've been eating food that you don't know anything about. I'm not really interested. And so they turn to one another and have a conversation. Man, did somebody come by here with a 
donkey cart and you know they've got food on it you know somebody who brought food did the woman have some food or you know they're talking amongst each other about Jesus eating now here's something that's critical we must get to a place where we think deeper about spiritual matters and there's a great danger to misunderstanding and not hearing what the Bible says and what Jesus says here. So they should have learned already by now that he, he has deeper things that he talks about even when he talks about physical matters. John 3, Nicodemus misunderstood the new birth. John chapter 4, in the beginning, the woman misunderstood um, living water. And now the disciples in John chapter 4 are misunderstanding Jesus' statement about food. Jesus says something here that was des- designed to be understood spiritually, and, and they take it literally. And so let me ask the question, how do you and I train our mind to have, a, have the ear to listen to what is being communicated and not get caught up in the literal and see what is there and dig deep in the text. So let me just read this familiar text real quick for us and I want to point out a few things as to how you and I can avoid the danger of just being literal about everything and missing the depth of the spiritual that can come in our lives. So Jesus comes to a town in Bethany in Luke chapter 10. And he goes to the home of Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And this is what Luke 10, 38 tells us. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, busyness, the things to do. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve and to be busy all alone, tell her, Jesus, to help me. And Jesus turns. He's been teaching. He turns to her and says this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. You are troubled. You have a heavy heart about so many things that really aren't that important. One thing rises above them all. One thing is necessary. And your sister, she has chosen the good portion, and I'm not going to take it away from her. So in other words, I'm not going to tell her to go join you to be busy and distracted with everything. She has done something, made a decision about something, to train her ear, to train her life, to soak in what I have to say. And I think there are four key things here. Watch this. Face-to-face with Jesus. That's what Mary chooses. Secondly, feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Thirdly, fully open life to Jesus. Face-to-face, sitting at His feet, opening her heart, opening her ears, opening her eyes to what Jesus is communicating. And lastly, making that be a faithful practice in our lives. And when you and I do that, then you and I will avoid the danger of missing what the Scripture and what God is wanting us to see. And one of the last great and possibly the last 
significant conversation that Jesus has is with Pilate. In John chapter 9, or John chapter 18 communicates this, this story and this interaction that Jesus has with Pilate. And it comes down to a place where Pilate said to him, So you are a king in John 18, 37. And Jesus answered, Well, you say that I'm a king. And then Jesus says these words, For this purpose I was born. I was born in this world for this purpose. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth, this is what marks their life. They listen to my voice. And so, so for us, if we are going to be ones who embrace the, the heart of what Jesus ate and the great sustenance of His life and what motivated His life, it comes in the submitting to the will of God, the words of God, and joining in with the work of God with His great harvest mindset about people. And this comes always by being motivated to know the truth. This can't be lost on us. This last lengthy conversation that Jesus has before his death with Pilate, where he says, I was born for this purpose, to testify to the truth. And so if you and I are going to partake of what Jesus did, then the word of God and the truth of God, the written text, learning from historic Christianity and the great doctrines and the the great battles that the church fought for, you and I must embrace those things. Lastly, this morning is verse 34. And it's there must be a focus in our lives on the supernatural over the natural. Let's look at 34 again. So Jesus... Has to clarify a little bit more. Look, guys, um, I've been eating while y'all been gone, and I'm not really interested in your Samaritan burger. I've been eating something that is far more satisfying, far more powerful, far more tasty and satisfying and fulfilling. They're like, Rabbi, you got to eat, you got to eat. We, we, know, we know you're hungry. No, um, I've been eating of something that you don't know anything about. And then they turn to one another. Well, gosh, did somebody bring you food? What, what are we supposed to do? We spent a couple of hours in there getting food, and, and now he, doesn't, he doesn't, even, doesn't even want it. And then Jesus said to them, listen, guys, here's a reality for my life. My food is to do the will of him who sent me twofold, who sent me, and to accomplish his work. You see, the great aim and design of Christ's life was doing the will of the Father. Yes, that day, He had come to the well, tired and thirsty at the time of eating. So yes, He was likely hungry. It's it's partly why they went into town to get that, but also He needed them gone so they could have the conversation with them. Can you imagine trying to have a spiritual conversation with these guys, with this woman, and the confusion that would be there? And so he wanted this one on one with her. And so now they're back and they're focused on physical 
food. And in his contact with the woman, he's talking with her about her thirst. And as he does, and she recognizes who he is, watch this, his hunger has been abated and it didn't matter anymore. He wasn't interested in eating. You see, in leading her to understand who he was, Jesus had found extreme satisfaction in saving a soul, and it overshadowed everything in that moment in his life. And I think you've probably been there as well. There are times in our life when our spiritual life is so caught up in the will of God where we forget about eating, we forget about other things. We're just consumed with a love and a passion for Christ that allows us to overcome our circumstances and to trust. Even when weariness and even when worry could well up and dominate, there is a joy to walk in those moments as the gospel is extended. Now I want to read a text. You ought to write it down in your notes. This is Job chapter 23. Listen to these words, starting in verse 10. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way, and I have not turned aside. Listen to what Job is saying. I, even in the midst of the tragedy in my life, and you want to talk about tragedy, Job experienced tragedy. And so he knows, he says, God knows the way that I take. And God is, there's been a trying in my life that has come through his hand. I'm going to come through this like gold. And then he says, he said, listen, I, I kept my feet fast to his steps as I walked the way that he would want me to walk. And I've kept his way and I've not turned aside. And verse 12 says, and I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. And listen how Job closes verse 12. And I have treasured the words of the mouth of my God more than the portion of food. Now think about Job's life. He's lost everything. He's had friends come along to tell him something's wrong in Job's life. And Job stood fast. And he'd come to a place in the midst of, I mean, heartache and brokenness. That the words of God that communicated the will of God to allow Job to walk in the work of God. He treasured those words as greater than food. See, there's moments in our lives where a spiritual experience, an encounter with God, a time in a worship service, just time walking and, and encountering God just moves us to a place where we're not interested and worried about those things. You see, the main joy in our lives will always be found not in avoiding being tired or getting our temporal needs met. It will always be found in living out the words of God by following the will of God in those words and knowing them and walking in them. 
Do you know what Jesus' great joy was? It was, he says here, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He sent me here. And so I'm going to do his will. And so the great joy in Jesus' life was that. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He, the despising of the shame of it, and because of that, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The great joy of Jesus to go all the way to the cross was to do the will of the Father. But watch this. But also the great joy was this, to finish, to accomplish the will of His Father. So I'm going to finish here and share with us, what does Jesus' joy say to us about how you and I partake and eat of exactly what Jesus ate? Listen to 34 again. Jesus said to them, my food, this is what I eat, men. It's greater than the food you brought from Sychar. My food is to do the will of him, my father, who sent me and to accomplish his work. So I'm not just supposed to know it, I'm supposed to live it, and I'm supposed to finish it. So this is what Jesus' joy teaches us. First is this. Doing God's will is the only path to real life. That's it. There's not another path except doing the will of God. You know the will of God, W4 plan, word, will. I mean, excuse me, I I should know it, right? Who he is, will, word, walk. And this dominated Jesus' life. He knew who the Father was. He knew the will of the Father because it had, it had come clear from the word of the Father. And Jesus' great desire was to walk in the will of the Father. So doing the will of the Father is the only real path to life. Secondly, the only path to great joy is doing the will of the Father. You see, Jesus found his greatest joy on this path, and we will as well. Spurgeon said of this passage, The man of the world thinks that if he could have his own way, he would be perfectly happy. And his dream of happiness in this state or in the next is comprised in this, that his own wishes will be gratified, his own longings fulfilled, his own desires granted to him, And then Spurgeon says, this is all a mistake. A man will never be happy in this way. And if you and I, as Christ followers, we will never be happy grounding our life on things like this and the things of this world. We will find great joy and the path to joy by doing and living the will of God. Thirdly, doing God's will is the only way to live in power. As the Spirit moves in us and empowers us to walk faithfully 
with him. You know, Jesus' life was so powerful because his obedience dominated every aspect of his life. Sin weakens us and makes us more vulnerable to greater temptation. Never strengthens us. And lastly, this was so important to Jesus because he says it there in 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This idea is to finish it, to finish what I came here to do. That's what this means, to complete it. So the fourth thing is this, finishing the call of God on our life should deeply matter to us. It should deeply matter to us. So we see this and learn this from Jesus. And so one of the greatest needs in our lives is this, that we would understand, we would do, and we would finish the will of God. See, Jesus found great joy not just in starting to do the will of God, His Father, but He found great satisfaction in finishing it. I want to close with a brief story. I can't remember, I think it was 2015 spring break, we took the high school students to Mexico on a mission trip. And we had an incredible week, a new church got started, that church is continuing to, to meet together in this community, and, and it just was an incredible trip. The greatest impact that was upon my life that week was not the things that we did, which were amazing, but it was the man who led us there, and his name was Harlan Caps. And Harlan had spent his life investing in the Yucatan Peninsula, and just starting church after church after church, training leader after leader after leader. And as we got on the airport, got to the airport to get on our nice plane to fly back to Dallas, at midnight, Harlan got on a bus packed with people and went six hours to share the gospel somewhere else before he came back. And I've never been able to shake that from my mind and he finished well Jesus is our model and we have people like Harlan and other people like that that, that share that, that live in such a way before us that say this not don't just start walking with God but finish walking with God don't stop and Jesus said my food is this the will of my father and you cannot know the will of the Father unless you know the Word. And you see what the Father is doing. And you join in the work of the Father. So it's not just beginning, but it is finishing. And so, so for the disciples, this was overwhelming to them. Because all they could say, eat, eat physical food. And Jesus said, no, I have just ate something that moves me in such a way that I'm not interested in whatever you brought back from Sychar. Because I've been about my Father's work. And folks, this is desperately needed in the church today. And so let's pray about that right now.